Welcome to the REI Foundation Podcast, where we cover all the steps and strategies to make your real estate dreams a reality. Now your hosts, Jason and Peely. Well, hello again, and welcome to another edition of the Real Estate Investing Foundation Podcast. We are very excited to have you today. Thank you so much for listening. And of course, if you like what you hear today, please subscribe to our show and go and get a rating and review on iTunes. Love to have you. And we are very excited for today's guest. You're going to get a ton of information on all different classes of real estate. Nitan Mosery. Welcome. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you, Jason. Thanks for having me on the show. So a little bit about Nitsan. He has been involved in real estate for over 20 years and currently owns many properties nationally and worldwide. While living in New York, Nitsan owned a construction company and applied his knowledge to the construction field, working on numerous single-family homes, multifamily commercial projects up to 300 units. He uh, saw the light, moved himself to South Florida in 2009, became a licensed real estate professional and extensively involved in the South Florida market. He owns Keen Realty Solutions, a Florida-based real estate brokerage firm, and one sole commercial REMAX franchises in South Florida. Nitsan and his team head up the multifamily division. He's also the CEO and owner of Keen Management Solutions, a hands-on boutique professional management company. And he's had the privilege of working with some of the real estate industry's best in residential and also commercial property. His background ranges from managing commercial assets, recognizing emerging markets, property management, syndication, mentoring, and advanced creative financing techniques. Wow. So that's quite a background. And we're really excited to have you on the show today. And if, if we backtrack everything here, how and why did you get started in real estate? Uh, that's a great question. So, you know, I, I, I got started in real estate when I was a little kid. You know, my, my father um, always drilled into us. He has, you know, the the richest person on the planet is someone who has a piece of land. It doesn't matter how big it is, but a piece of land that they own free and clear. Cause then you can do with it, whatever you want. You can develop it. You can rent it. You can lease it. You can build on it. You, you, you can do whatever you want with it. You can take money out on it. The equity increases. So that was always, you know, part of our, you know, in our, in our mind. And he also, you know, he, he kept, that drilling into us that there's two types of people in this world. One, you know, one type of person pays rent and the other type of person collects the rent. And he always told me, son, you want to collect. So that was kind of the, uh, the, the upbringing that, um, that we had. And I'm very fortunate to have someone drill that into me uh, all these years and, and understanding the value of appreciation rather than depreciation. So, you know, it's always been there. It's always been in the back. I've, 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 you know, I'm, I'm 48 going on 49 soon. Time flies. And, you know, I look back and I've had my hand in so many different um, projects and businesses and, and with different partners and, and whatnot, but real estate has always been in the background. And now I've brought it, you know, last uh, 10, 15 years, I've brought it to the foreground and uh, just really exploded it. Amazing. Amazing. So with so many things going on that we, we heard with your bio, if you're, you're in an elevator and someone says, what do you do? What's your elevator pitch? <laughs> I tell them uh, I buy big commercial real estate buildings and I can make you a lot of money doing it. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's basically what that's one's a great response. Sure. So <laughs> your father pushes you into this and, and w w was this something he was doing himself or, or how did you, how did you, get your background, your track record. Who did you learn from? Sure. 
Yeah, so, you know, my, my father back, uh, you know, when, when he was living in Israel, he, um, he had a construction company. He also had his own taxi company where he had taxis and, and medallions and whatnot. Uh, and then when we came here, um, he was lucky. He started working with a gentleman that owned a clothing store, a very uh, a retail clothing store in Manhattan. And, and every Christmas he would get a heart attack and my father would take over. And one year he had a heart attack and didn't come out of the hospital. So his wife sold my father, um, his wife sold my father the, 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 the business. And the business was in a building in Manhattan. And this was in the oh, mid seventies, early eighties. And, um, and at one point um, the owner of the building came to him and said, Hey, would you like to buy the building? Uh, I want to get out. I'm old and blah, blah, blah. But you have to buy it with the super of the building because the super has been with me for 20 years. So my father went and, and he understood passive residual income. He understood doing something once and having it pay you constantly over and over uh, through, you know, perpetuity, so to speak. Um, so I got, I, I got my knowledge in that. I got my, my hands dirty where, you know, I was the guy where, you know, hey, the toilet on the 12th floor uh, is stopped up. Go, go fix the toilet. Or uh, the 10th uh, the floor tenant is moving out. We need to break all the drywall, remove everything. And uh, here are the floor plans for the new tenant. Go build it out for him. Go, you know, go do this. So I, I was, you know, I was inside. I, you know, when you go in Manhattan and you see all these old buildings and you see these big water towers on the inside, I've actually spent an entire summer on the inside of one of those water tanks, cleaning it, fixing it, tarring it up, refurbishing it and, and everything. And so I, I got my start, you know, really getting my hands dirty in, in that field. And then um, with my brothers, I went out and uh, we, we bought another, uh, we bought two more buildings in Manhattan. Uh, that were foreclosures. We got really good deals on them, uh, renovated them, brought them back to life. Uh, and, you know, with that, I, I had a, a renovation and restoration company in Manhattan that we would go out and we would uh, work on buildings. We would work on uh, residential private homes, uh, townhomes, uh, uh, you know, brownstones, whatever it was. So, again, my, my, my entire life, I've always been dealing in real estate. You know, people have that conversation. Well, how do I get started? Sometimes it's just the, the action of just doing is, is how you get started. You just get, you're thrown in the mix and you've learned so many just valuable opportunities by just saying, okay, go plunge a toilet, you know, go rehab right. the apartment, go rip the sheetrock down. And with that, mm -hmm. up in the whole another Pandora's box, what's behind the walls. And that's really just on the ground training. And it helps you so much down the road because when now you hire someone out to do it, you can tell them exactly how you want it done because you've been there and done that. Exactly, exactly. And, and you know, if, if you don't have that opportunity to go into uh, work and get your hands dirty, the next best thing is to, you know, is to get educated, sure. right? Go out and, and read everything you can, you know, learn, learn everything. You know, if you have an, uh, an electrician coming to your house, don't go into the other room and, and wait till they're done. You know, my father, you know, and, and, and it's amazing how I hear him always in the back of my mind now when I'm talking to my kids or when I'm doing something. You know, there's an electrician doing something. I'm always looking over their shoulder to learn, not necessarily for me to do it, but if I have to go somewhere else and I'm dealing with someone else and I'm looking over that person's shoulders I'm, and I, I, I can tell them, hey, why are you doing it that way? What, what about this way? What about that way? So I'm learning uh, through that as well. That's a great, you know, hands-on way of doing it. You know, a plumber comes into your house, you know, just look over his shoulder. Yeah, I'm just looking, seeing what you're doing, right? You know, great time to ask questions. The landscaper comes, he's, he's installing your, your sprinklers, whatever it is. It's always good to look over somebody's shoulders who knows what they're doing 
right? So you can learn a little bit from them so you, you have that knowledge in the background. Now remember, you know, I, I don't go out and do drywall anymore. I don't plunge toilets. I don't, I don't change faucets, but I can. I know what it takes, right? I know if, a, if an, a, a, a maintenance guy comes to me and he'll tell me, well, it's going to cost you $150 to change a faucet. Why? Yeah. I can get you a faucet for $15 and it'll take you 20 minutes to do it. Right. So that that's where all that, you know, but education, you know, read, get educated, learn from people. There are a lot of people out there that are coaches, that are mentors, that are educators that can teach you about this business. So, yeah, just go and get educated. That was a great piece of advice. Thank you for that. And if, if you're looking at it, really, you said the last 10 to 15 years, really, where you ramped up your real estate business. What what was that trigger or that that moment you said, OK, now I'm, I'm just going all in in this direction? Sure. That's a great question. Um, Ten years ago, I was living in Israel. Uh, I had moved back to Israel uh, in 1997, and then I went traveling for many, many years. I became a long-haired hippie. I had uh, uh, Rasta's dreadlocks uh, past my butt, and I was just a big hippie traveling the world. Uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do with myself. And then um, I met the girl of my dreams while traveling. Uh, we met in Portugal, and then uh, we settled back in Israel. We had kids, and the downturn of 2008 came. And uh, I told my wife, I said, you know, this could be a good opportunity for us uh, to get back into the real estate business. Because I, I had been traveling. I had done some real estate in Israel, some flipping houses in Israel, uh, done some stuff in South America. But really as a hobby or as just, you know, oh, this is a good opportunity. Let me, let me take care of it and put some money to work. And, but never really going at it anymore as a business. Uh, when, the, when the market crashed, I saw a great opportunity for us to get into it uh, at the bottom. And I, I, I was smart enough to understand that this opportunity is probably going to happen once in my lifetime, in our lifetime, right? This, this recession that hit was incredible. I was flipping houses here in Boca, you know, $16,000 concrete block house, three bedroom, two bath. I bought it for 16. I put 4,000 into it, sold it for 50. You know, opportunities like that were amazing. So I, I, I told my wife and my wife being from Europe, uh, she was, you know, she was ecstatic. She said, yeah, let's, let's go. And, and we, I, I said no to New York. I said no to California. I said anywhere else in between. We looked at Florida and it was a great place because it had palm trees and, and Florida got hit really hard with the economy. So we came back. I started flipping houses. I started doing that. Our, our, our goal was to come in to buy a nice house that needed work, live in it for a year, renovate it, sell it, make fifty, dollars $100,000 and then continue our hippie lifestyle off to Australia and, and where else. But life the lifestyle here is, is amazing. Our kids love it. Um, I was flipping more houses. I was doing a lot more. I saw the opportunities. Um, but I also saw the end of the residential flipping phase here in my own backyard. And I knew that I had to go into something that was bigger that would give me income, as my dad taught me, right? Passive residual income. Set it up once, buy it once, put the right people in place, create the right team, Right, create the strategy, the business plan, and let it run, and let it just keep feeding you constantly. So I saw that goal, I saw that end, and I um, I went towards that. And I, you know, being from New York City, residential is um, is tough because it's a, a, a tenant friendly state, very very friendly to tenants. Uh, it's very hard to evict someone. Uh, you've got rent control, rent stabilization. You've got all these uh, stipulations and whatnot. So I never bought residential. It was always commercial. But when I came to Boca, I, always, I, I understood one thing. 
doesn't matter. Good market, bad market, everyone needs a place to live. And if you're buying right, you're buying conservative, you can really, you know, manage the ups and the downs by, by keeping your property steadily, you know, going up and, and, and being able to pay for it for itself. Uh, so I started learning. I got myself a mentor and, and I started paying for my education and I went and I, I, I got educated and more educated. I was building my team and, you know, 10, 10 years later, uh, here we are. That's awesome. And I'm going to dive in here a little bit more and just because so many people, when, when they, they feel that, that contraction or they feel that recession, they run, they hide, they, they're so scared. They, they just, they don't want to do anything because who knows what it could happen next. And looking at that now, possibly, you know, we're, we're in a very hot market in, in a lot of parts of the country, you know, we could possibly see some downturn here later, you know, two years out. What's something that you, you saw then? What's some triggers that you said, one, I'm going to jump into the flipping space, and two, that's starting to dry up. I'm going to move more into commercial. What, what, what were something that stood out to you that, that really were maybe aha moments in your mind that said, I'm going to go this direction? Yeah, sure. Great question. Um, so one of the factors that I saw that caused me to start, you know, do a double take was I was bidding on a, on a house. The house was, half of the house was burnt. It was a foreclosed house. It was half burnt. Um, you know, at that time, 2010, you know, $100,000 would have been a lot of money to pay for that kind of house. Because either you tear it down or you've got to put another $150,000 into it. You know, permits and architectural plans and so forth. And, you know, time and permits and, and, and all that stuff. Just a lot of time, a lot of energy putting into it. And if you're going to put that much money, how much are you going to make? And, and the spread wasn't that much, but it was a good opportunity, right? Nonetheless. So I put an offer of cash, $100,000, no inspections. I can close in three days once we signed the contract. I didn't need anything. I just needed to do title work to make sure that the title was good and, and so forth. Uh, you know, and, 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 you know, little inspections just to make sure the foundation was right and everything was good because we were going to continue to build off of what was remaining. Uh, but I got bid out by some by people that were bidding, you know, hundred and fifty thousand dollars, hundred and forty thousand dollars cash. And I, I, you know, at that time, I said, people are coming in and they're they're bidding that much more than what they're asking. I said, all right, people, something's going on here, right? So I, I took a step back. I started looking. I, I, I had good realtors that were feeding me. Uh, properties as well. And like you said in my intro, which is fantastic. Thank you. Um, I also have my broker's license, but it's easier to hire someone to let them do what they're good at than taking my time to do that. Right. Um, because I'm not paying them their commission when I'm buying the property, the seller or the bank is paying. So why not hire professionals that understand their market and understand what they're doing and have them do that for you? I would do my own comps, right? I had access to the MLS and whatnot. And sometimes I would ask my, my eight, my realtors that were working with me, Hey, send me your, your comps. I want to see what you're looking at. You know, maybe I'm not seeing certain things and whatnot. Um, but so I started asking and then I was seeing that people were starting to bid over asking price. That was the first thing. Houses were sitting on the market a little bit longer than normal right? More people were now bidding. So that means that people weren't as afraid anymore as they were when the market tanked, right? More people are coming in, more people are buying that they're, they're realizing, hey, that now is a good opportunity to buy, right? This is a couple of years after the crash hit. 
So now a couple of years later, I'm looking at it going, maybe it's time to slow down. So if this is going to be an, a, a funnel that is going to dry up for me, where else can I look? And, you know, single family residential, right? You know, buying a house and renting it to a tenant is great, right? Good income, you get the appreciation, you can depreciate stuff, um, but you don't really make money on it because how much can you rent a house, right? $2,000, $2,500, whatever it is, right? If your roof needs to be repaired and that's five, six, seven, ten thousand dollars $10,000, that's most of your yearly income. That's gone. If that tenant doesn't pay you rent that one month, you don't have it. And if they don't pay you the second month, now you've got to start evicting. So now for the next three, four, five months, you don't have anybody paying your bills for you. So now you're going back into your account that you saved all that rent and now you're paying. So I understood that, right? Don't get me wrong. I have a couple of single family homes. I've got great residents living in there, great people. They don't bother me that, you know, all that stuff. But I looked and I said, what if I could find a property that had 10, 15, 20, 100 people? paying my mortgage for me. If 10 people don't pay and I've got 100 units, that's okay, I still got 90. And if my mortgage payment only consists of 40% of those people paying, well, that's good. I have a big spread in between that it can go down, it can go up and so forth. So that was, that was, those were some of the kind of triggers you know, that, uh, that, that, that I noticed that, kept, that started me looking at different areas. And the same thing with multifamily. You know, multifamily started becoming really, really hot. We were looking at primary markets. We were looking for 100, 150, 200 unit properties in primary markets, B-class properties in A locations or C properties in B locations. And it was great in 2011, 12, 13, 14, 15. We were buying, we were competing, we were winning, we were losing, we were in the game. But suddenly all these REITs and funds and ultra high net worth individuals were coming in and in these markets and these, you know, primary markets, they were throwing down half a million dollars hard, non-refundable day one. Well, you know, I can't compete with that. So what do you do, right? Another signal, oh wow. So this, this is heating up. Let's go into secondary and tertiary markets. We started doing that. Oh, that's heating up. They're coming in there now. All right, what do we do? Let's look at the 50 to 100. So you've all, what I'm trying to say is you always have to have your thumb on the pulse of the market and the industry so you can navigate in time to avoid all those obstacles and you can keep your company and your business growing and moving forward. That's great. And when you find that crunch, you, you pivot and you pivot to the next direction. And when that happens, you pivot. That's awesome advice. And if you right. to look back at, at what you've done, what's, what's one mistake or, or setback that you've, you've had that has been instrumental to your growth that you would definitely have happen again? What was a setback? What's something that's happened that, that was a great learning experience for you that you wouldn't not have happen again because it was so great for you to learn from? Um, that's great. That's a great question. Um, one thing was I started becoming very confident in my network of people and I felt that I could go out and I could raise um, X amount of money. No problem. Um, that was one thing, um, which entailed taught me that 
I, I have to build relationships. This is a relationship business. I need to go out and to build relationships with people. They need to like me. They need to know me. They need to trust me. I need to have a, 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 I need to be transparent. My track record has to speak for itself. So when I went out to my market at a specific time and I thought that I, I had done that, the market, my network came back to me and said, wait a minute, you really haven't done that deeply enough yet. So I went back and I built my, 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 my relationships even deeper. Um, I went and I really created those relationships with people because they're going to, you know, they're going to invest with me. They're going to invest in me, right? They're hoping that I have a great opportunity, but they're looking at the property second. They're looking at me first. Then they'll look at the property. So that was one thing. Uh, another thing was that um, I, I partnered up with someone who brought an opportunity to me and they needed me to be a sponsor on the mortgage for them and help them go through the entire process and due diligence and raise capital and whatnot. They had said that uh, they had spoken to a broker dealer and he had raised all the money for the, for the, uh, for the equity portion of it. It was $7 million and we didn't have to do anything. Well, you know, People talk, right? Their lips move, people talk, things come out of it, you know, hot air and whatnot. Um, so I learned that when someone says, I have all the money, you say, that's awesome. Put it in the bank now so that it's there. And if they don't, you know, they don't have it or, or whatever. If they say, well, in a, in, in a short time, I'll do that. But when you have that one person, you tell them, great, thank you, but continue to raise capital. Never, ever rely on one person to bring you the capital for a couple of reasons. One, if they say no, you don't have any money left, right? If you're raising money from 10 people and one person says no, that's just one person. You still have those nine others that are funding you. You probably can still close. You can continue the raise. But if one person says, I'm giving you the money and they don't bring you the money, you have no money, right? So that's one thing. And the second thing is that if you have one person that is bringing you all that money, they need to be underwritten by the lender because they will own more than 20% of the company. And now they have strong voting rights. They can vote you out as a general partner. They can do all that because they have the majority power. So those are the kind of things that I, that I learned that, you know what, I don't do that anymore. So, and to take that back, if there's maybe a new investor that's looking to maybe do their own syndication and start raising capital, maybe they haven't done a transaction yet. What's a good talk track or a good way to have that first conversation or that those starting conversation with investors if they don't have that build up track record, maybe with, you know, multifamily syndication or other syndication? Great question. So before you start talking to investors, if you don't have a track record, build your team. Now, what do I mean by a team, right? If you're, an, if you're a new investor, if you're a new investor into multifamily or commercial, right, where you're doing big million-dollar assets, right, and, and, and you need someone on your team that has the experience, right? If you're going out and you're buying a 50-unit property, it doesn't have to be $10 million. It can be a $3 million property, $4 million property, right? And you're getting a Fannie Mae or, you know, you're getting a balance sheet lender. or It doesn't matter where you're getting a lender. Where you getting the money from? The lender is going to ask you what was, and, and the broker as well and the investor as well, what was the last deal you did? Do you have a track record in this asset class? What is your net worth? Do you have enough liquidity to cover three to six months worth of debt coverage payments? Now, when you're starting out, you don't have that knowledge. You don't have the track record. You don't have the history. Maybe you have the net worth and the liquidity, but you still need somebody to have, that has that track record, that has that experience, right? 
So you need to create that team. And that person is called a sponsor, right? A key principal. So you need to have that person on your team. Now, if you're working with a sponsor, a key principal that is in this business that's doing it, they have a team. They have underwriters. They have analysts. They have, uh, you know, property management companies, real estate attorneys, securities and exchange commission attorneys. They have the entire team and the track record. So before you start talking to anyone, right, what you can do is you can go and find that person and bring that person onto your team. And now when you're going, you know, and if I'm that person I, and you're an investor, Jason, I come to you and say, Hey, Jason, pleasure to meet you. My name is Nitsan. You know, we, we met a couple of times and I, I just want to share with you what I'm doing. I, I just got involved in this industry. I, I've done single family. I've done this, but multifamily, I've just gotten it started with multifamily. Um, I'm new at this, but what I do know is that I partnered up with some people that have a great track record and we're working together, we're collaborating together on certain projects. Uh, so I may not know everything, I may not have the track record of the experience, but Jason, you know, or, or, or this other guy here, he's the sponsor, he's the one that's going to be running the show, I'm just the front man right now. So that's one way of doing it. Uh, another way of doing it is when you're talking to new people and you don't have the track record and whatnot, you can share with them what your business plan looks like. Well, this is what I'm doing. I'm going to be involved in locating strong growth emerging markets. I'm going to be connecting with uh, the top brokers in that market to find me uh, BC properties in A and B locations that have strong value plays. Uh, we're doing this and this and this and this. So you build a picture of what you're doing, right? rather than talking about a specific asset that you want to buy. Because when you talk about a specific asset and numbers, first question any savvy investor or lender or broker is going to ask you is, have you done this before? Right? So you don't, want to, you don't want to lie, right? It's a very small industry. People talk. You don't want to lie. You want to be completely transparent. So those are the two ways of going about talking when you're new in this industry, talking to investors and building your network. Sure. Yeah, that's great. Building your framework, building your network, building your team out. It gives you the confidence too to be able to go have that conversation. That's absolutely fabulous. And if you're, you're looking at the direction your business is going today, what kind of projects are exciting you right now? Well, uh, we are, my team and I, we're working on a solar farm in Yuma, Arizona, 300 acres. We're creating a solar farm, but it's not just a solar farm. It's a solar farm. We have technology that we can store the energy. Not many people have technology that you can store the energy and then feed it back to the grid at peak times. So let's say it's going to cost us 0 0.08 cents per kilowatt to generate. We generate that, we store it, and then we can go back and we can sell it to California Power and Light, Arizona Power and Light, New Mexico Power and Light at peak hours at 34, 35, 36 cents per kilowatt. That's a huge uptick. Sure. So that's something that's exciting us. So we're, we're in the process of finishing up the, uh, the, uh, the, the site plan, how all the, the panels are going to be situated, where the, the storage facility is going to be, egress and ingress. We have all that done. We've been talking to the uh, city of Yuma. We've got all that done. We're going to go into uh, raising capital for the first round um, very, very shortly. And then we're going to go into our second round, which is going to be a raise of about $25 million on a conservative basis. And I'm under... I'm underquoting. We're gonna. It's probably going to generate about twenty-five million dollars within its first year. Wow. Um, it, 
our performer number shows more, but I'm just going to stick with that. That's cool. uh, so that's exciting me. Uh, this year, my, my team, we've also decided that we want to go out and we want to buy six properties this year. We want to double what we did last year. Uh, so we're doing that. So uh, a lot of exciting things, a lot of great, exciting projects. And you've talked so much about team, which is great, right? Because it, it, it just brings it full circle about everything you've really brought through this, this talk here. If you look at the team, what role do you fill or what role do you like to play within the team? Great question. Uh, when, you, you know, when you're building a team, right? You know, what were we taught when we were younger, right? Find your weaknesses and, make your, and, and strengthen your weaknesses. Well, you know, if I'm spending my time strengthening my weaknesses, my strengths are getting weaker because I'm not strengthening my strengths. So I had a kind of different attitude. I said, why don't I go out and strengthen what I do well, what I'm good at, what, I, what, what I'm gonna you know, hone in on my strengths. Forget about my weaknesses. I know what my weaknesses are. Let me go find people that can complement me in my weaknesses. My weakness is their strength. So we went out and I partnered up with people um, that do the things that I don't like to do, uh, do the things that um, I'm not strong at doing, and they do that. So I'm the, I'm the 30,000 foot kind of guy that puts the picture together and says, okay, this is what we need to do. This is where we're going. This is what's happening. You know, making sure that the people are doing what they need to do. Everybody's working and it's all great. My other business partner, she's got a, a master's uh, from the University of Orleans in uh, France, from the University of Miami. She's got double master's in economics. Um, she's raised capital. She's helped entrepreneurs start their companies. She's the one that goes in and, and tells you there is a dot on the I on page six, paragraph three, uh, sentence five. You miss that I, you know, because she, she's got that real detail orientation. She goes and she fills out our underwriting pro, uh, uh, spreadsheets. She created that. Right? So she's good with formulas and putting and deal. You know, so she inputs all the information in our spreadsheet. We, then we talk about it, we get on the computer like this and we see each other and we talk about it and we discuss the numbers and where we're going and the market and all these things. So I bring my expertise, she brings her expertise and then we meld it together and that's how we move forward and that's how we've been able to do some, some great things. Um, so you really have to look at what you bring to the table. What are my strengths? Forget your weaknesses. What are my strengths? Okay. Weaknesses are important to know because I need to know who need, who I need to meet, hire, partner with to fill up those weaknesses. Right. So that's how, you know, that's how I've gone out and I've, I've built my team. That's incredible. And taking that, we're going to transition a little bit to a few more questions. Thank you so much for your time. Looking at everything you've done and everything you're doing, do you have a why that that's your big focus for why you do all this? Yeah. You know, your why probably changes as we evolve, as we become who we project ourselves to be, right? Uh, to become successful, first we have to think it. First we have to become it inside, right? Um, to, to understand where we want to go. And, and, and I just lost my train of thought. I'm sorry, what was the question again? Oh, sure. Yeah, your, your big why. Ah, my why, right, right. So, so as we grow and we become, our why changes, right? Long, long time ago, uh, when I was younger and a lot less immature and, and whatnot, my why was to, um, was to prove it to other people, was to prove that I'm capable, that I can, 
right? Uh, very quickly after that, I realized that that, you know, after a while I, be, I, I grew up, I, I traveled, I realized I came into my own shell, into my own personality, and I realized I don't need to prove anything to anybody. I just need to prove it for myself. So that was my, my why when I was single. And then when, when I got married and I um, had children, I have two daughters, you know, beautiful kids, 10 and 12, two girls. They're, they're black belts in Taekwondo. They're, they're kicking butt. They're amazing athletes. They're fantastic. Um, my why changed, right? My why changed. At first it was, well, you know, I can't have my kids sleeping on a park bench. I can do that when I'm traveling. That's fine. You know, travel, hey, sleep on the beach somewhere, whatever. I can't have my kids do that. Um, so that was my why, first of all. Then as my children grew up, I realized that I wanted to be the example of the man in their life, right? I'm the father. I'm the only male role model in their life. So my why of becoming successful right? It's not necessarily becoming a real estate investor. My why for becoming successful, my why for becoming a philanthropist, my why for becoming part of my community and giving back to my community was to show my daughters what it's like or what is the male role model and who they need to look at when they're going out into the world as a role model, right? As a partner. I want to be, I want to show them what it, what, what it is to be a husband. I want to show them what it is to be a father, uh, a, a, a businessman, you know, a friend. I want to be the example. So this is why I do what I do, why I push forward so hard, why I, I, I want to be successful, because I want to show them the way to do it. I want to show them how it's done what the picture should look like of success so that they can grow up and that they can decide this is what I want. This is not what I want. And that's my why now, what I do, what I do. And as a parent that absolutely resonates me, with me. So that that's incredible. And I, I feel that from you and looking at that and carrying that through is, is there words you live by or a mantra maybe that you, you preach to your daughters or, or you have in your mind as this is all going I have, I have many. So one is, um, I, I, I belong to uh, uh, Rotary International. So in Rotary International, we have, um, we have uh, uh, the, the four things of Rotary, right? Of all the things we say, think, and do, um, is, it, is it fair to all, is it the truth, first of all? And I, and, and I carry it around uh, in, my, in my wallet, the object of Rotary and the four-way test. So the one thing, and I have, I have this on a big piece of paper um, taped to the front of our door on the inside. So every time we leave, we see it and we review it. So it's the four-way test, and, it, and it's very simple. It goes, is it the truth? Is it fair to all concerned? Will it build goodwill and better friendships? And will it be beneficial to all concerned? So that's a recent thing that I got. I've just been involved in Rotary for the last three years. But before that, um, one mantra is um, – Every day and in every way, I'm getting better and better and better. So that's one thing that I, that I teach them. Um, another thing I, I, I teach them is trust in the universe and the universe will take care of you. Right? That's another mantra that I always put in. Trust. Trust that you are where you are because the universe has put you here for a reason. So stop bitching. Stop moaning. Stop complaining. Look at where you are. 
take note, right? Take notes of where you are. Now, if you want to change, change. Go out and make a change. Do it. It's okay to fail, right? Another thing that I always teach my daughters is the road to success is paved with failure. You have to fail before you can become successful. You need to know, right? Sometimes, you know, it's like in basketball. You throw up a shot, you got it in, great. Does that mean that you're going to get it in all the time? No, it could have been luck, right? It could have been a fluke. Let's do it again. Oh, let's keep doing it. And you fail, and you fail, and you fail. But with failing, you have to tweak. You have to have a coach. You have to have someone by your side saying, hey, you know what? Just tuck your elbow in and, and twist. Great. And now you can succeed. Now you're there, right? So I, that, that's what I teach my girls a lot. Um, I, I teach them also that, you know, uh, to be successful, you really have to do the hardest thing, and that's build relationships. Build relationships. And the last thing that I teach them is whatever you do, well, there's two things. One is whatever you do, don't ever, ever quit. Never quit. You can end something. You can, you can see something to its fruition, to its completion. If you don't like it, that's okay. Do something else, but don't quit in the middle because quitting is a habit. You quit this, you quit that, you quit that. Suddenly, your mentality is that of quitting. Don't ever quit. Never, ever quit. So those are kind of the, uh, the, the little mantras uh, that I have for that. People should definitely repeat that last two, three minutes and, and listen to that again because you can set your mind on that every day. It, it's powerful in its own means. So Absolutely. If there's an investor listening today that, or that's maybe on the fence, just trying to get started, just doesn't, can't figure their way in, using all, all the knowledge you have and everything you have today, if you were to go back 10, 15, 20, 30 years and start over, whatever is that point and get yourself going again, what, what would be that instrumental first step you would take at that point, knowing everything you know today? Get educated. Find someone who's doing what you're doing, who's got what you got, who's got what they got, right? And then if you do what they did, you'll get what they got. Okay, so find yourself a mentor, get educated. And, and, and this is why I put together my uh, mentoring coaching program because I've gone through all the steps. I, have, I still have mentors, I still have coaches, I still have people that, I, that are sounding boards that I go off, but I put together a program where I can help people, not just in real estate, but in any business because it's a system, right? It's a set system. So I went out and I truly want to help as many people as I can achieve success. I love watching people succeed, right? Because when you succeed, right, doors open up. You're, 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 I mean, you have to change to succeed, right? Money is not the, um, the, the, the result of success, right? First, you know, money is, is, is comes... Money comes once you are successful, right? So first you have to become a success and then the money will follow, right? So you, you, you gotta go out there, um, make the change in your mind, start thinking as if you are that person five years down the road, get educated, right? So I, I wanna help people achieve success because it's amazing when, when sparks fly and people just catch it and they're like, Yes, now I see it. I get it. And they, you know, listen, it's different for everybody, right? Somebody moves up a little bit, and then there are people that go 10 steps. It doesn't make a difference, right? Earl Nightingale said it best. He goes, a definition of success is someone that who's already on the path to their goal. If you have a set goal, 
and you're already working towards it, you are already a success. So I want to help people. So get educated. You know, it's, it's, I mean, geez, you know, uh, Michael Jordan, you know, uh, David Beckham, you know, Tiger Woods, all these guys, right? They're, they're incredible because they have coaches, right? You have to have some talent. You got to be able to get out of the box. You know, you got to be able to get out of your comfort zone. You got to be able to be coachable, listen to your coach and, hey, you know, do this, do that, not argue with the coach because he's the coach, right? If you do what the coach says, you should achieve success and move forward. So I, I really do believe that everyone who's getting started, go out and read. My mentor, David Lindahl, has a great book. It's called Emerging Market Cycles. Go read that book. That's the first book you should read, yeah. Emerging Market Cycles. Well, Nitan, this has been a powerful conversation. Thank you for sharing so much with us. And if others want to connect with you, learn more about you, learn more about your program, what's the best way to find you? Sure. Uh, you can email me at success at traveling-investor.com. That's the best way. Or you can go on my Instagram page, The Traveling Investor, or on my Facebook page, The Traveling Investor. Uh, hit me up. I'm there. Um, you know, I, I also have a, a radio show that's live every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern. Uh, I talk about commercial real estate. I talk about acquisitions. I talk about sales. I talk about everything. Uh, under the sun that has to do with commercial real estate. I also talk about mindset and goal setting. I have um, a lot of guests that come on that have been successful. For example, I had the uh, CFO of IPIC who took that company, I believe, from $16 million to $160 million. And he's talking about how he did it and what the ideas were and where it came from and, and all that kind of stuff. So that's also a good place, like, like your podcast here, is a good place to get information. Right, so this is another one. That's um, Thursdays at 1 p.m. on W4CY.com. Incredible. Thank you so much for that. Nisa, we really appreciate you having and coming on the show today. This has been a wealth of information for all of us here. So Nisa Mojari, thank you so much for coming on the show and to all you listening out there. Thank you so much, and we look forward to having you on the next episode. Thanks so much, Nisa. Thank you, Jason. It was a pleasure. Bye now. Thanks for tuning into the REI Foundation Podcast. Check back next time for more awesome tips and strategies to launch your new you in real estate.